study was done, put on by Stanford University. The psychiatrist research professor that conducted the study was David Roshanhan. And as he conducted the study, it was uh, an intentionality, it was very intentional that he would send out eight fake patients into the world and send them around the country to various hospitals, psych wards, if you will, and tell them to walk up to the counter and admit themselves to the first psychiatrist that they met, this one phrase, I am hearing voices. That's all I had to say is I am hearing voices. And then just as, as, as a student of psychology and psychiatry yourself, I want you to then journal and capture every movement thereafter. And so they were fake patients stepping up and confessing their own voices in their heads kind of experience. And as they, as they did that, they, um, um, they then uh, went through the process of answering the questions and being interviewed and asking questions about their past and on and on and on and on. And they found that everything checked out normal. Everything about them was normal, except they had voices in their head. And at the end of the, the study, they found that all eight patients were diagnosed with schizophrenia. One even went so far as to be diagnosed with manic depressive psychosis. I don't even know what that is, all right, but it sounds pretty bad. Uh, one was hospitalized, or, uh, several were hospitalized, one for up to two months. All of them were prescribed psychiatric medication. All because, not because of any bad behaviors, not because they measured or watched their behaviors, but because they admitted at the end of the day, there's voices in my head, all right? Now, I want to say this to you. This is a safe place, all right? If you say there's voices in your head, we're not going to medicate you or put you in the hospital. In fact, I'm going to stick my neck out on the line and I'm going to say there are voices in your head. You're hearing them, listening to them, processing through them on a regular basis. So you might have you say that so boldly because I believe that all things are spiritual. Not all things are physical. I believe all things are spiritual. And oh, by the way, there's a physical component to that. And if, they're, if we're living in the physical, but there is a spiritual, then these two worlds collide. They come together. There could be, very well could be, and I believe there are voices that interact the spiritual and the physical together. Now, for me personally, I have never had this voice from God kick in my door, knock things around, thunderclaps, writing on the walls, some of the things that you hear in Scripture. That may be comforting to you that you don't have a pastor that's maybe has experienced things like that. That may be discomforting to you because you want a pastor who has heard from God so clearly it's like handwriting on the wall. I struggle with this. In fact, I have probably spent more time preparing this one message out of the next two months' messages than I have in many messages, probably double the amount of time because here was what I'm fearful of. I'm fearful of the fact that I might miss God's voice. And I don't want to talk to you about hearing God's voice and me miss God's voice. Does that make sense? So there's a little bit like preaching on, hey, here's eight ways to be humble. And let me tell you about that. You know, it's kind of like you kind of self-defeat yourself when you talk about humility. And yet, yet any, anyway, I think you get what I'm saying. But God, when he talks to me loudest, it's not kicking in the door. It's kicking in my sleep. 
all right? And he kind of comes in in the middle of the night. Now, it must not be on the time zone of heaven because it's always between 1 and 2 in the morning. I don't know about you, and I'm not talking about waking up because I had some bad pasta the night before or, or because I had a bad dream. I'm not talking about that. This is different. This is when I wake up and I know that God is wanting to say something or he has just said something to me. And in the past probably six months, I can look at and count on one hand the number of times. I would say two and I'll give three maybe times that, that I have woken up and said, oh, I've got to get out of bed. It's not like I take a pill to go back to sleep. It's not like I fight it. It's like God is waking me up because he is wanting to say something to me. And this is not something that's just new. This is something that's been happening for years and years and years. And I had a pastor share a verse with me. And this gave me, it gave me great comfort. I was about 23 years old when he shared it to me. And here I want to share it with you now. So here it is. Isaiah 50 verse 4. If you're one of those that God's on, on, you're not on God's time zone. Morning by morning, he awakens me and opens my understanding to his will. Now, when I think of morning, I think of 6 a.m., 5 a.m. morning. God thinks of 2 a.m. morning sometimes. And those mornings, I just got to surrender that night and just say, God, you're going to have to give me the strength for the rest of the day. And I get up and I start journaling. I start writing. I start praying. I start reading. I, start, I listen. I, I, I dive into as much as I can. And here's the best thing I can figure out about that. Why is it that God does it? It's the best thing. It's, it's my hypothesis. It's my, it's, it's my, what I, it's the only time that God has time and space in my world. You know, I don't know about you, but it's pretty crazy. From the time you get out of bed to the time you go to bed at night, you have to shut off the outside communication. You have to choose that I'm not going to answer that phone call. You have to choose you're not going to answer that email. You ha- Otherwise, the world will keep pecking away at you. You have to tell the children, no, it's time for bed. Mommy, daddy needs some quiet time. You have to create space because space is not going to come to you. Silence is not going to come to you. Solitude's not going to come to you. You're going to have to create it. And I, I have found that in my life, from the time I get up, it's kind of like one thing starts to another to another. And those of you who hit the snooze, 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 and then what happens is then you get up in a mad dash race to get yourself ready, to get the kids ready. And the kids are not in the same rhythms. And so you're yelling, trying to get them, get them ready and get out the door and not miss the bus or not miss school and get their lunches and all that kind of stuff. And then you're running to work and all along your phone's dinging and beeping and you know and you're needing to respond to it. And some of y'all right now, if you check your pulse, it's going up. Up, as I'm describing your Monday morning, all right? So you, go, you get where I'm going, and it goes all the way until you finally crash in the bed, and you don't have time for your spouse, let alone for a mystical God that you can't see or touch. So now what do you do? I'm supposed to be hearing from God, I'm supposed to be listening to God, I'm supposed to be wakes me up, and then, so that's why I believe God has to wake me up. And the reality is we're starting this series on voices I'm not trying to talk about some mystical. I believe that there is, there are, there are psychological disorders that are out there. I'm not trying to make light of that. But I'm saying this, that I think that God, really, in fact, I know that God really wants to direct and, and steer your life to a better path. And I, and I think and I know it because it's not just my feeling in my gut and the nature of God and what I know about God. It's because the Scripture tells me that. And you're going to hear me point back to the Scripture, back to the Bible time and time again. But here's one that I want you to read out loud with me. Psalm 32, verse 8. Okay? Here it is. Read it with me. 
I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. Say it again. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. Say it again. I will You need to say that to yourself every morning when you get up. You need to say that every time you're going to make that big career move to decision. You need to say that at that relationship when it falls apart or when you're looking to get into another. You need to say that when you're choosing a college. You need to say that and again and again to yourself that I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. Pause. The problem is we don't pause. It's kind of like we want to charge ahead with life and say, God bless what I'm doing, okay? Stop me if you don't want me doing this. No, that's not how it works. If you're the God of the universe, then you can set up the rules, but that's not how it works. He will instruct you and he will teach you in the way that you should go. The problem is, so many people, I I get it because I struggle with it too, can't in the midst of all the clamor and the chatter, can't parse, can't dissect, can't peel back, can't discern which of those voices out there is the voice of God? Okay? Which of those chatterings in my head and my soul is really God? And what I want through this series is for us to confidently, consistently, and accurately parse, dissect, and discern God's will. If we can do that consistently, if we can do that accurately, if we can do that confidently, then I think we're on our way to discerning and obeying the voice of God with tremendous success. And we'll be being instructed in the way that we should go. But the problem is we're going to have to discern the voices. Now, this is my list. You may have a list. You may make up your own list. You can add to my list. You can subtract from my list because maybe not all these voices speak into your life. But I want to just mention, these are the voices that as I look out there, as I've talked to people in my uh, 26 years in ministry, as I live my own life and just and relate in this world, these are the voices that I think that are out there, that are dominant voices in people's lives, whether they're aware of their voices or not. Just jot these down, and you might circle the top one or two that kind of help shape your life. One of those voices that we hear is the voice of our past. Now, past can be pleasure, okay? You know, you take a pleasure moment, you take a pleasure event, you put a photo album, you put it on the coffee table, and you open it up, and you keep looking at it. Lori and I, just this week, we're talking about, oh, we need to do that thing. We need to go to Israel. We need to get that into a photo album. We can climb Mount Kilimanjaro. We can get that into a photo we're, we're talking about all these things that we need to get into a photo album because those were past pleasurable events, okay? And those past pleasurable events can inform our future, can uh, be a voice to us. But I want to dare say that the past painful events may speak louder maybe more dominant than we give credit to. Life experiences that are painful. You thought you were getting the job promotion, but instead you got the job loss. You thought your relationship was secure and everything was good and that the marriage was going to make it for the distance. And you come to find out that it wasn't so secure. The other person cheated. And now all of a sudden, everything you trusted built your life onto is now gone. You thought and it was this. And guess what? Those painful experiences are still informing your life today. The voice of pain. The voice of our critics. That's one. 
the voice of our critics. That's the voice that's in us that uh, it's a phrase. It was a statement. It was something that was said to us when we were a child. It was something that was said when we were teenagers. Something that was said to us even last week. But it's a painful statement that we have heard from somebody who's been critical of us. You're too fat. You're too skinny. You're too tall. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not, you're not this. You're not that. And you get all these little voices that just kind of tick away. You can't do that. You're not promotable. Your, your capacity's tapped out. You can't do that job. And all of a sudden you say, well, okay, I can't. Or can I? And typically you'll find people that will go in one or the other direction. One, it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes, you said it. I believe it. That's true. And listen to the critic. Or the other one will say, no, no, I'm not going to listen to you and I'm going to go this way and I'm going to prove you wrong and I'm going to overcome. And they overcome. But here's the problem is the voice doesn't go away. Ten years from now, they'll still be overcoming that voice. They said they couldn't, they were unable, they were whatever that voice was. They'll be battling that voice for the rest of their life. Happens in your childhood, happens in a teacher, happens from a coach, happens from a peer, happens from, it could be a racial slur, it could be any number of things, and those things pierce deeply. The voice of our parents. All right, let's just, just admit it. I'm not a perfect parent. If you're a parent in this room, right now, say, I'm not a perfect parent. Say it. Okay, good. Good admission. Now say, my parents weren't perfect. I forgive you, mom and dad. Turn to your kid and say, would you forgive me for not being a perfect parent? All right. Uh, I didn't hear anything on that one. Yeah, see? Double standard. All right. The, um, we, 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 we do this thing in life called parenting, and there's so many ways that we can do it wrong, and in a few ways we can do it right. And never the kid is the same. Have you noticed that? You think one's, you got to figure it out. No, it's not. Every single one is dialed in differently, wired differently, motivated differently. And you got the smothering mother. Okay, I'm picking on the mother. Smother mother because it just rhymes. Uh, And so, all right, so, and I'm going to talk about the passive father. That doesn't rhyme, but it's so true. All right, so you you got the smother mother over here who absolutely, you know, hovers over them and, and watches over them and cries when their kid didn't get a trophy and, you know, just on and on. And even the parents, I can remember whenever I was growing up before the trophy generation, everybody got a trophy for, for winning and losing. But uh, the, uh, I, I can remember, um, I can remember one of my friends who got grounded when he got a B. He was a straight A student, granted, but he got a B. I listen, I would celebrate in the heavens if I got a B growing up. All right. <laughs> Every B was a hard B for me, but this, this parent was very strict. Again, I don't, I don't get into all of that kind of stuff. If you, if you slack on an A, when you, you get a B, when you shoot got an A, I, I know there's different things, but it was just across the board. You come home with a B, you're grounded, all right? A little, little intense, but then you swing the pendulum the other way when you got the passive guy. The passive father, it can be a passive mother, but I can pick on the mother, I pick on the dad. So you got the passive father who's unengaged. Hey, I, I, bring, I bring home the bacon. I, I work hard all day. And listen, I come home tired. Listen, I, I, don't have the, I don't have the bandwidth. I, I, I can't. And so it becomes passive. One of the best definitions of manhood includes in there the phrase, I am going to reject passivity. I don't think you're a man until you can learn to reject passivity. You might shave, but you're a boy who shaves, and you're not a man unless you reject passivity. But here's the parenting thing. The parenting voice sticks with us. 
sticks with us. We hear those things and, you know, I, I never quite achieved. Or the libertarian parent, the passive parent who says all rules are off limits and you can do whatever you want to do. And that creates a whole, uh, Katie bar the door, what can happen with that one. Then there's the voice of, time, uh, of our times. Now, there's so much to this. A whole series of messages. You know, a whole series of messages on the last voice. That's a parenting series of messages. This is a, this is a series of messages just on our times. And this could be, uh, you know, uh, uh, just how Madison Avenue draws us in and how, how Fifth Avenue draws us in, all the marketing world out there draws us in, tells you you need to buy this, you need to buy that, and all that kind of stuff. And the problem is, is that this has always existed. We've always been sucked back into the world. The vortex of this world is constantly pulling us, pulling us back. I even brought this verse out last week. I'm going to bring it out again this week. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, when Demas was, has deserted me because he loves the things of this life. What a sad tale. He deserts Paul because he loves the things of this life. I want to add into this whole concept of of, uh, listening to the voices of our times, our friends, okay? When I say this, I'm picking on our friends. Our friends are are good friends. They're they're good friends, but a lot of our good friends give us bad advice. Check the source, Okay, and most of the bad advice, that's why I didn't pick on the friends, I'm picking on the advice that they got. Most of the bad advice they're getting, they're getting from culture. If it feels good, do it. You deserve to be happy. Go for it. All this kind of lies that make up who our culture is today is what our, what our, what our friends are telling us and helping us shape our decision. And one of the voices of our life, listen, you have good friends, but they've given bad advice. Cut that voice off. The voice of technology. Boy, this is one that probably 10, 15 years ago we wouldn't have been talking about. But it is there. Now, here's a test. I don't want to see a show of hands. We're not going to even take a survey on this online. But here, I would love to see this, though. I I really second-guess this now. But I would love to know, don't tell me, I would love you to answer this question. What is the very first thing you look at in the morning? Facebook or the face of God? Facebook, Instagram, your email, the faces of your friends, or the face of God? I encourage you to control that area deeply in your life. Sixth, the voice of Satan. Judas stumbled on it. Paul wrestled with it. Jesus was tempted by it. You can't get away from the voice of Satan. But listen, he's not going to come in banging and clanging. He's not going to always come in in the rock and roll music out there and the R-rated movies out there. He's clearly there. But beyond that, he's going to slide in. In any one of these voices up here, he's going to slide in. And you know what he's going to look like? He's going to look pretty good. He's going to sound pretty good. The proverb says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it only ends in death. There are ways that seem good and right and proper out there, but really, at the end of the day, they only lead to death. This is what we need to realize Satan will come as. Satan himself masquerades, dresses up, pretends to be an angel of light. Beware. Every one of those voices right there, I could spend a four or five week 
time just breaking down those voices. I will probably spend very little from this point forward because I want us to zero in not on the counterfeit, but I want to focus on the authentic, real, genuine voice of God. That is the voice that we need to be leaning into. In fact, I'll say this again. He doesn't kick my doors in. He doesn't do all that. He doesn't write on the walls. He doesn't do that that I would like for him to do. But here's what he does. Here's what he does do. He speaks in a gentle whisper. What did what, what, you say? Whisper. That's all it is sometimes. In fact, I'll say 90% of the time it's that. It's just a gentle whisper. We're even going to have a message in a few weeks called the God Whisperer. We are going to learn to listen to the short, succinct voice of God. It's not ever really loud, but you know it. You know it. When you hear it, you hear it for the very first time. You know when you've heard it, you have heard from God himself. E. Stanley Jones said it like this, the inner voice of God does not argue, does not try to convince you. It's self-authenticating. Breaking those down. There's a purity, there's a simplicity, there's a... I know this is right. I hear all these other voices and I carve them out and I parse them off and I, but this is the voice of God. We've been kicking off and talking about and some groups have already launched and the rest of them are launching this week is Experiencing God. We literally sold out of our last book, uh, last service, last gathering. If you want to join us, you'll have to buy the book online, go to Lifeway, grab one there. Uh, but this is going to be something that's going to be a parallel thing to this whole study. We're going to we're we're intensifying this throughout the church as much as possible to say that we're going to spend the next two months. We're going to dive into this whole idea of hearing the voice of God, and I hope that you will go that extra mile and spend the next every day of the, of, of, the, uh, of, of the time, not just hearing the message, but literally doing this study with us. And I hope that you will, you will jump into it. And one of the things he says, he has seven realities that we will study. I'm going to just mention them today, but they will be throughout the entire series uh, uh, of the study through experiencing God. Here's reality number four, just to give you a test, that God speaks through the Holy Spirit, through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purpose, and his ways. Now, again, we'll spend an entire week studying that, so I'm not going to develop that other than to say this. F.B. Meyer agreed with him in his book, Secret Guidance. He called three lights. He said that basically circumstances, impressions of the Spirit, and passages of the Bible, common threads, circumstances, Spirit, Bible, very important components to hearing God's voice. Epi Meyer goes on to say, the written word is the wire along which the voice of God will certainly come to you if the heart is hushed and the attention is fixed. The heart is hushed and the attention is fixed. We're literally going to build into some of our worship time. This right here. Where hopefully the only thing you'll hear is the hum of the air condition and the voice of God. 
be prepared to hear God's voice. In fact, be so prepared. On your, on your bulletin guide today, when you came in, hopefully you grabbed one, take it out, hold it up, okay? You'll also see a little square sheet of paper. Rip it off right now, okay? So we're all ripping it off at the same time. There we go. Sounds good. Rip it off. Keep that with you right now. Already God may have already spoken something to you, a simple whisper, a simple something, a song about the fear and how fear, but no, you're a child of God. Maybe that. Whatever it is, I want you to be thinking of and being ready to jot down the simple statements of God that he might say to you, one statement that he may call you to today. All right? Now, when you write it down, it's, it's so good to write it down because thoughts disentangle themselves when they move from your lips to your fingertips. And so just start working it out. Okay? This is between you and God. In a little bit, we'll talk about what we're going to do with those uh, throughout this series. But take your Bible, since this is the wire through which God speaks. Take it and open to the book of 1 Samuel. All right? Way back in the Old Testament, way, way, way back in the Old Testament, you'll find the book of 1 Samuel. So here's what happened. Israel is now in the promised land. They've been to Egypt. They've come back. They're in the promised land. They've gone through a series of judges. It's been a moral, decadent society. If you read through Judges, you'd think you were reading the Times of, uh, of America, all right? Because everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's exactly how they lived. And at the very end of this, they have a judge named Samuel. He was a great, amazing judge. It was about 1000 BC. So we're talking a long time, even before Jesus, a millennium before Jesus. He's about 12 years old. He's staying in the temple. He's living with a guy named Eli, who's the priest. He's living there because his parents, Hannah and Elkanah, had prayed so fervently for him. She was barren, prayed, God, if you give me a son, I'll give him to you. He becomes a Nazarite. God gives him a son, becomes a Nazarite, lives in the temple, becomes a, is, is, is training up to become a priest. He has the duty and the task of staying at the Ark of the Covenant to keeping the flame burning, okay? The burning flame that was in book of Leviticus chapter 24, verse 3. It's talking about the flame would continue to burn at the Ark of the Covenant. He is to keep the flame burning through the night. Now, when I talk about Samuel, I'm not talking about some little obsolete figure back in the Old Testament. Samuel was huge. Now, I should say it like this. He's huge, okay? He's huge. That was my, my, my intimidation, uh, intimidation uh, my impersonation of you-know-who. But anyway, so he's huge. And I say he's huge because even Jeremiah 15, chapter 15, verse 1, he lists him among the great intercessors of Israel right there with Moses. And so he is this great, powerful guy, but right now he's a kid. He's a boy. He's probably not even shaving right now. In fact, uh, whenever you look at chapter 3, verse 1, look there. Now the boy... He was a boy, circle that phrase, we're going to come back to it. The boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. So God wasn't speaking much. Now we're going to get to that. Why wasn't God speaking much? Rare, it's literally the idea of a rare diamond or a rare emerald or a rare something. It's this idea of something very precious, very rare for God to speak. There was no frequent visions. You have to go all the way back to Moses before the last theophany. A theophany is where God literally appears in this present physical form. He stood in his presence just like he did with Abraham, just like he did with Moses. And now we find it here even with Samuel. So just as that is the backdrop, I want us to answer the question, beg the question, how in the midst of all these voices, 
Do I hear the voice of God? There are four improvements that we can make in our life. Number one is get rid of the clutter that muffles the voice of God. The clutter that muffles, mutes the voice of God in our life. Again, there was not the word of God in that day. Why? Well, I think for a lot of reasons because they weren't listening to God. God will not. Here, you just get this down big, plain and straight. God will not force himself on you. If you don't have time, I don't think he's going to speak. If you live with a cluttered, messed up, sinful life and you're just going to kind of do it your own way, call your own shots, I don't think you'll hear from God a whole lot. Even Saul, when he inquired of the Lord after living a life of sin and and going to be replaced by David, this is what it says. Saul inquired of the Lord and the Lord, what does it say? Did not answer him. Did not answer him. I thought God answers all of our prayers. Didn't answer it. You go study the life of Saul and tell me if you can figure that one out. Amos chapter chapter 8, verse 11, it says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. That sounds horrible. Why would you do that? What kind of famine? No, not, not of bread or of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Maybe the greater famine. Not hearing God anymore. Just going to keep doing it my own way. You're doing it your own way. That's why you're not hearing God. We've got to get rid of the clutter of our life. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says it like this. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you. And he will not, does not hear. When we live in this life of sin, we don't hear and God doesn't hear us. God doesn't respond to us. When we have a mutter-cluttered life, then there is a, a line of separation. We've got to get rid of the clutter. Think about it like this. That's the best example I can give. It falls apart when you have a perfect God and an imperfect man, but just hang with me on this one. Give me some grace. Remember the last time with your spouse you had one of those nasty arguments? I mean, if you're not married, you're a dating couple, if you sibling or whatever, you, you had one of those where you wouldn't talk and they wouldn't talk. Maybe you're there right now. I don't know. But you wait for the other person to say they're sorry and you, they're waiting for you to say you're sorry. And you're waiting for, you know, again, we got a perfect guy. This, this falls apart, the illustration does, but hang with me. Here's what happened. Right in the middle of your relationship is the big elephant in the room. It's the offense. There is an offense that happened. There's a, there's a brokenness that's happened. There's a mistrust that's been taking place. The offense, as long as the offense is there, the relationship is fractured or the relationship is hindered. The communication breaks down. You may still be a child of God and you may still be married to that person, but you'd like to kill him, say that for another day. But I mean, the offense is there and as long as the offense is there, there will never be a sweet communion with that other person. So it is in our relationship with God. Get rid of the clutter. Second one is a vibrant relationship with God enables a voice recognition. Now, I know that that's software that we use in our 21st century, but if you think about it, there's, if you break down voice recognition capabilities in all of our technology today, really you can parallel track those. There's, there's speaker recognition 
And then there is speech recognition. All right, just hang on to that for a moment. Speaker recognition means I recognize your speak, who's speaking to me and the computer will then authenticate you and then will listen to you and then respond to you. Your iPhones, my iPhone is not that smart. Our phones have speech recognition. If I could get into your phone, I could ask Siri, the same Siri that answers my questions would answer your questions and it's just speech recognition. What we need is speaker recognition where I can recognize God and God is recognizing me. And I'm having this kind of relationship with God. Look at verse, look at verse seven. So here, here, here's the back story. Samuel is laying in the temple by, the, by the, um, the Ark of the Covenant, watching the flames, sleeping. He hears from God. God speaks to him. Again, it's very rare. He spoke to him once. He goes to Eli. Speaks to him again. He goes back to Eli. Every time he's waking up this poor old man, probably can't go back to sleep. And tells him, go back to bed. Go back to bed. I didn't call you. And then he calls him, uh, 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 again, calls him twice. And then look at verse 7. Now Samuel did not know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. See, there was a relationship breakdown. Samuel didn't know God. Can you point back in your life the first time you heard God's voice and you knew it was God's voice? You knew. Think about it. Can you remember it? Man, I've never heard God speak in my life. I don't know what you're talking about. That can be troubling. And I want to say that on the outset of this series. That can be troubling. John 8, 47. Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to his words, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. One translation says you don't hear because you don't belong to God. It's really extremely important that the relationship be there. Samuel couldn't make it out because he had never heard the voice of God before. Do you know God's voice? Do you have a relationship with God? See, reality number two in, uh, in experiencing God is God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that's real and personal. Hopefully, you can look at your relationship and say, it is real, it's personal. I have a relationship with God. I hear God, God hears me. We are in that kind of relationship with, with one another. I, I relay a story to you that Jeff and Sarah Webb kind of told me uh, recently. And Sarah, it actually happened to, to Sarah. Uh, uh, they're a part of our church and um, they have a boy named Luke, who's their oldest, and he's just full of energy, always running around, and very deep thinker. And so he's uh, he's uh, playing soccer, and Sarah doesn't know much about soccer, so she's watching and learning, and they're at a game, and and Luke, their boy's name, keeps getting yelled at. Luke, do this. Luke, do that. And Sarah's like, what is going on here? I know I don't know soccer, but I can't see that my son's messing up that bad. Finally, halfway through the game, she realizes, oh, the coach on the other team is yelling at another Luke. It's not my boy. So it helped her calm down a little bit. So then ever, whenever the, uh, the game was over, she asked, Luke, 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 you heard that name? You heard your name? I call it, yeah, yeah. And why didn't, uh, what, 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 what did that do to you? And this is his words. She wrote it down, sent it to me. She says, I didn't recognize the voice, so I didn't listen to it. I didn't recognize the voice, so I didn't listen to it. See, the problem is, if you don't recognize the voice of God, you won't listen to it. I pray you know the voice of God. It happens through a relationship. You'll hear that throughout this series. Number three, my posture helps clarify God's voice. 
If I have the self-made man, I can do what I want to do, play my own games, God, you... Here, I'm going this direction, God. Now watch this. Would you bless where I'm going? There's a lot of people who play that game. God, I'm doing this, now bless it. No, that's not how the game's played. The game is played, life is played where he is the Lord, he is God and I'm not, and I'm going to bow my life to him and I'm going to submit my life to him and I'm going to do what he wants me to do. You see, I think the sad thing is, is most of us want to hear from God, but we want to keep the volume somewhere between motivational speaker God and spiritual guru God, but not life interruption God. That's too much of a voice. Let's turn that one down. God is more than a motivational speaker. He's more than a guru. He's God of the universe. And he loved you enough to send his son to have a relationship with you so you would have a relationship with him so that you would gladly hear his voice and gladly respond. So here's what happens three different times. And I, and I, can't, I really can't read them all, but you can, you, can, you can see them beginning in verse 4 where uh, God uh, speaks to Samuel. The Lord called Samuel, verse 4, uh, here I am. And then he said again in verse uh, verse six, he said, the Lord called again. He go, again, he goes back and forth. Third time, again, Eli's not sleeping now. He said, uh, hey, did you call me again? He said, no, I didn't. Hey, but I think it's God. And he tells him this. He said, the Lord called Samuel again a third time and he rose and he went. This is verse eight. And here I am. Uh, for you, uh, you called me. And Eli perceived that it was the Lord who call, was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord. Your servant hears. Say that with me. Speak, Lord. Your servant hears. If you don't pray anything all week long, if you don't pray anything all series long, if you don't pray anything every day when you get out of bed before you look at Facebook, you look at the face of God. If you pray this prayer, Lord, speak. Your servant's listening. Then we will be on our way to, and it's not our magic formula. When it comes from our heart, there's so much packed in this one simple statement. Eli said, Samuel, Samuel goes and lays back down. God shows up a fourth time. And that's what he did. You break it down, what's he saying? I think these are the postures of prayer. One, prayer. Pray for God to speak. Pray to God to speak, Lord. Speak. I need you to speak. God, I'm in this situation. I need to hear from you. God, I'm listening to you. Speak, 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 speak. Ask God to, to direct you. Jeremiah 33, 3. Write it down. It's God's phone number. Call to me and I will answer you. Okay? Call to me and I will answer you. So the whole idea of speak. And then the second word is Lord. This is a posture where I realize I'm surrendering to the person of God. I'm not surrendering to an idea, to a philosophy. I'm not surrendering to my friend's bad advice. I'm surrendering to the Lord of the universe. He is the boss. He is in control and he knows it all. And I'm not surrendering to some unknown. I am surrendering to the God that, I, that, 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 uh, that knows what's best and I'm going to follow him. Another reality is God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith in action. There's a whole 
package full of that. But you're going to go through crisis of belief moments where you're going to have to trust God or not. And the sad thing is going back to the song that we just sang, most of us are still captive to fear more than we represent that we're child, children of God. Number three, obedience to God's plan. Your servant. Speak, Lord, your servant. That's who you are. He's God. I'm not. Reality number six, you must make major adjustments in your life to join him in what he is doing. And then, patience to listen. Speak, Lord. Your servant hears. I I can't remember much about all the times that God has spoken to me. But man, when he does talk, I write it down. If the God of the universe is going to enter into time and space and going to engage with Mike McDaniel, he's going to take a note. God has probably already spoken to some of you today. I hope you've already started writing it down. Number four, and I'm finished. His voice will lead your will lead your life into His path. Again, it's not your path. You're wanting God to bless. It's His path that you're getting on. Two other realities. God is always at work around you. That's reality number one. If you start experiencing God, you'll start studying that. Week one, God is at work still to this day here in Northwest Arkansas. Where's He at work? Identifying that. Reality number three is God invites you to. Get involved in his work. I love it in verse 11 whenever he says this after finally Samuel tunes in that it's not Eli, it's God speaking to him. This is what God said the very first words, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel. Now, I don't have time to go into what he's about to do in Israel. That's a whole message in itself. But just hang on to that phrase. What is God about to do in your life? What is God about to do in Northwest Arkansas? What's God about to do in your family? What is God about to do? Whenever he tells you what he's going to do, that's your invitation to get in on what he is about to do. Now, I'm not saying that when you get in on his plan, it's all going to be perfect and beautiful and spotless and easy and free. And it's like you're going to be dancing through fields of pansies and it's all going to be easy going. No. In fact, it's going to be tough. Whenever Abram was told that he would be made a great nation, that God would bless him, it took 25 years before Isaac ever came. Think about that. Are you willing to wait 25 years for the promise that God may give you today? David, 10 to 12 years before he became king, after he was anointed by king. Samuel became the judge of Israel. Hey, great, I'm a judge, I'm a prophet. What happened after that? 20 years of oppression by the Philistines followed. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I am saying this. When you're in God's will, you are in God's will. And he does things in you that wouldn't happen otherwise. I want to show you this in contrast and in conclusion. I remember I told you in verse 1, chapter 3, he was a boy. You're going to see a boy become a man. Boy become a prophet. 
Samuel grew in verse 19, and the Lord was with him, and he let none of his words fall to the ground in all Israel and Dan to Beersheba. Dan is the northernmost part of Israel to this day. You stand in Dan, you can see the, the nation of Lebanon. Uh, and then Beersheba was the southern part. It was where he ruled uh, as, the, as the judge knew Samuel and was established as a prophet. He went from a boy to a prophet after he started hearing God. Prophet of the Lord, and the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. That was the place of worship. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel. The Lord revealed himself. God wants to reveal himself to you. And when he does, reality number seven that you study is you will know God by experience when you obey him and accomplish his work through you. So I've done an exercise and some of you men have done it with me where I write out my life map my story. And on that map, I was reviewing it just this this past week. And I was looking at different plots. You just draw a line on a piece of paper and you put out the years of life that you've been on the earth and you just map it out. And I started looking at my life. And the amazing thing is, is God speaks fairly regularly but those big epic moments when he moves me from being a boy to being a prophet, he moves you from this to that, I could look in my life and I could say that's when God, I could tell you to the year that God told me that Lori was the person for me to marry. I could take you here where God gave me clarity in what he was calling me to. Actually, it was before I even was, knew it was Lori to marry. I can take you here. And I could take you here when God sent us to Africa. And I could take you here whenever this happened. I could take you here when that happened. And I can literally chart it out. I can look at it and say, God, you've been speaking. You've been working. You've been doing. And see, something about that is very assuring to know that if he did it and he's been doing it, what will he continue to do in my life as he speaks into it? Listen, I want to hear from God. It scares me where I think he might move but it also excites me where he might move. What's he going to say to you? What's he saying to you right now? He's not a motivational speaker. He's far more than that. He's not a guru. He's far better than that. He's the God of the universe and he wants to speak to you.